Whether you want to travel more or communicate better with international clients, you need to try Babbel. I've used Babbel's courses and you can do the same in order to learn real life conversation skills in a different language, order food, ask for directions, or speak to clients without having to use translation apps. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription. This is only for our listeners at babbel.com slash freelance. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash freelance, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L.com slash freelance. Rules and restrictions apply. Uh, are, am I the right guy to be moving things forward or the right person to be moving things forward in the long term? Like, am I the best leader that the team that, the team that we have here today could possibly get? It, like, would I hire myself? And it's not necessarily that, like, I see huge gaps in what I do. But it's also like what are you know? It's trying to it's trying to be cognizant of what are my gaps that I have so that I can see them, so that I can try to fill them before they become an issue. For Milo, I'm Brandon Hull, and this is Freelance the Founder, where we tell the stories of entrepreneurs who've scaled their businesses to be much bigger than themselves. This is season six, where we've got eight new and diverse stories of personal and business growth that are really compelling. For our first episode of the season, we take you into rural America. Now, let me set the stage. It's 1998, and a young wireless modem salesperson, yes, I said modem, was looking at ways of automating his follow-up with potential customers via email. So, he learned how to write a script in a programming language called Perl that would make this possible. Did I mention it was 1998? So, the script installed on his own web server and accessed via browser, think Netscape Navigator or even Internet Explorer back then, that script would allow him to pre-write the things he wanted to say in text form to these potential customers that he'd already called on. Then, as he'd add their email addresses to the database, the emails would go out in a daily cadence over the course of a week, resulting in responses, sales conversations, and new customers that script turned into its own customers, which led to our guest dropping out of university, which led to the founding of AWeber, which now employs 150 people out of this little town halfway between Allentown and Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, called Chalmont. This is the story of Tom Colzer, founder and CEO of AWeber. There's so much just kind of left to chance and happy circumstance and good timing and so forth that when you look back on it, it's like, wow, was that intentional or did it just kind of happen by like this nice happy accident? Um, so to, to give you the the, the accurate background, um, my I started in school uh, doing mechanical engineering at Penn State. Uh, I decided about probably nine months in, six to nine months into my freshman year that I was like, uh, yeah, mechanical engineering is probably not something I want to do. I'd always like to like take things apart and put them back together. Um, and, you know, I just liked understanding how things worked and I liked building stuff. Despite Tom's love for understanding how things worked as a young man, he didn't want to be responsible for bridges falling down. That's a huge burden to bear if you can't do it with confidence. And oh yeah, there was too much math involved on top of that. And... And to me, what I needed to be doing professionally needed to be fun. So I switched to finance. Um, I actually um, 
uh, stopped going to Penn State. I went to a community college in uh, Maryland because I graduated high school outside of uh, Baltimore, Maryland. And um, I had switched with the intent of finishing my degree at University of Maryland um, and getting a finance degree, hopefully going into some sort of like stock market, stockbroker, something like that. All right, let's set aside the possibility that you're sitting there thinking finance more fun than building bridges, Tom? Either way, Tom left Penn State for that smaller community college and changed his focus. Well, he first thought he could ultimately take over his grandfather's excavator business when he was older, but we'll touch on that later. You know, during that process, uh, on the side, I was uh, I was always in I was always interested in computers, and for whatever degree, for whatever reason, it never occurred to me to get a computer science degree, or we would probably not be sitting here talking right now. <laughs> um, and uh, so I was selling these wireless modems uh, on the side, and uh, you know, one thing led to another. I developed a little email script. Um, or a little Perl script that sent a series of follow-up emails. And I basically automated some of that sales process and the manual follow-up process that I was having with prospects that I met at, you know, different people I'd meet at computer shows, out and about, you know, the ways that I was selling these modems. All right, now I don't know your age, but maybe this brings back memories for you of the early days of the internet where you'd find these neat little scripts for $27 that you could use for running a website in different ways. But Maybe you're young enough to think, though, Tom, you ran a Perl script to send follow-up messages, to send emails to people. Why didn't you just sign up for such and such service? Well, the answer is it was 1998 and such and such service did not yet exist. So Tom left school and he was never a good student, he says. He dropped out in what would have been his junior year and with that little script, landed his first customer on August 20th, 1998. But before we get to that point in the story where AWeber is becoming a company, I think what fascinates me about this vision from Tom back then was this. Selling this way wasn't a thing in 1998. As a point of reference here, Amazon was just four years old at this time, losing millions of dollars in revenue every year or profit every year. Flip phones hadn't even come out yet. AOL was running TV ads to continue its hold on most Americans' primary on-ramp to the web. How in the world do you see that a little script might be the future? Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, you know, it was kind of like one of the great, the great, the necessity. Uh, you know, mother is the. What's the phrase that I'm looking? What's the saying that I'm looking for? Uh, yeah, necessity is the mother of necessity invention. Is mother invention. That's yep. the one I'm looking for. You know, it, it, it's really one of those things where it was kind of like. I was going to school. I was working another side thing on the, on the, I was busting tables in an olive garden on the side. I was racing my bicycle at the time and I was doing this modem thing. And that was really fun and interesting, but there wasn't a whole lot of education out there about it. So like I sucked up any resource that I, I spent time in the library. Like email to me was, it was just normal. Like that's okay. how I communicated, but it was just, it was kind of that mode of me, communication was normal. And it was, email was starting to gain some, you know, gain notoriety. Like it wasn't that weird, but, you know, it was, it was really something where it was like, Hey, this takes a lot of time. Like, I think I can write some code that'll send this faster and easier. And then I don't, I don't miss following up with, you know, Brandon or Bob or Joe or whoever it is I need to follow up with. Cause it's all in a database and I'm not going to miss sending the messages that way. Okay, so there's our answer. While some of the technologies he mentioned might sound old today, 
They were how bleeding edge technology adopters stayed connected and ahead of the curve in 1998. That mode of communication was normal for him. He was able to see into the future because he lived in the future a little bit, or at least several steps ahead of the rest of us. So it was, it was really like, I wish I could say that I had this huge foresight that like email would be what it is today. It really wasn't the case. It was what I happened to be using at the time. And it just kind of iterated from there. It's, it's kind of evolved over time. Tom actually took a look online to see if other people were building a solution like this before he wrote his little Perl script. And he only found one person doing it. And he would have been fine using that guy's script, but it it only offered three to four follow-up messages. He asked him to tweak it or customize it, and the guy was pretty stubborn. No interest in it. Hence, AWeber exists today. Isn't that just a little crazy to think? If that guy had been willing to just tweak his little Perl script himself to accommodate Tom Colzer, AWeber wouldn't exist today. You'll hear more from Tom in just a moment after this quick break. Have you ever noticed that many of the problems people call in with on this show can be solved by hiring someone? Sometimes you need a full-fledged team, other times maybe just a simple assistant, or an expert in something you're not great at. Whatever your reason for hiring, we recommend you take a look at LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. As you may know already, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. And LinkedIn Jobs makes the process of finding the perfect teammate easy and intuitive. Hiring is always easy when you have access to so many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours when using LinkedIn Jobs. I've used it myself, and it was so simple. In fact, I've made multiple hires using LinkedIn Jobs. And did I mention, by the way, it's free to business owners like me and you. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash freelance. That's linkedin.com slash freelance to post your job for free or click the link in our show description. Terms and conditions apply. You know, working from home is mostly great, but there are some days when I realize I haven't left my house or even my chair like all day. Have you been there? Getting outside to exercise or making a trip to the gym are just harder now that my office is just a flight of stairs away. If you're stuck in the same rut as me, then you should try Hydro. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W. With the Hydro rower and 20 minutes a day, getting a full body workout is so much easier. Hydro can work up to 86% of your muscles in just 20 minutes for an insane effective home workout. That's because Hydro pairs the effectiveness of rowing with the power of technology to connect you with over 5,000 video trainings, classes, and workouts. And get ready to get out from behind your home desk because after a few months of daily rowing with Hydro, your partner's gonna wanna take you out for a night on the town to show you off. This spring, join the growing rowing community at Hydro. Head over to hydro.com and use code FREELANCE to save up to $400 off your Hydro. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W.com and promo code FREELANCE to save $400. Hydro.com, promo code FREELANCE, or just click the link in our show description. It takes at least seven contacts in order for your message to be, you know, seen or heard and, you know, kind of acknowledged. So I was like, can I get extra messages? And there's like, just like flatly no. I'm like, all right, dude, I'm going to go build this myself. Kind of history. I wish I knew who it was now. So I can be like, dude, you missed out. <laughs> so Tom built this script himself. He coded the script himself and he used it personally to start selling products for one of his two jobs. Ultimately, he shared what he was doing 
with other sales guys that were selling the same products. So in the process of sharing the the you know basic tool that I had built with others that were selling the same product that I was, you know, when I ended up leaving that product, some of those other folks went on to do other things. And they started coming to me in the in the following like weeks and months saying, like, hey, can I get that like script thing you were doing? Can I get that for this other business that I'm now running over here? I know a friend that this would be really helpful for. Like, can I get it for them? And and it was basically at the time, it was like, well, it doesn't exist. And it's just like a one-off thing that I wrote. I just told people no. You know, you come home from work, you know, my my quote unquote real job at the time, which is busting tables at Olive Garden. You know, you got spaghetti sauce up to your elbows. And it's maybe there's a way that I can make some money with this. So Tom has come around that maybe money is in that script. There was just one problem. It was a major hassle setting up any kind of e-commerce business back then. He spent the next year just figuring out how to sell something online. You know, this was before you could go to PayPal or Shopify or Stripe or whatever it happens, Square, whatever it happens to be these days. You know, you had to get a real merchant account. You had to have a real business bank account. It It was harder. It wasn't impossible, obviously. I figured it out. But like, you know, it was just harder. Um, and kind of one thing led to the other and, you know, thus a Weber was born and it was really born out of, yeah, I think there's probably a couple dozen people that will buy this. And if that gets me through college, great. And if it doesn't, as it started to progress, it was like, well, maybe I'll just take a semester off and see where this goes. I knew in my heart of hearts that if I really screwed it up, like I would be okay. It's interesting when you talk to entrepreneurs, you know, around the country, around the world, like the time when you're able to make the risk, it's like, you know, I have a wife, I have two little kids now, I've got a house and like, you know, the risks that I would take now being in the, if I was in the same kind of financial mm-hmm. spot as I was then would be totally different. Like yeah. I wouldn't have made those leaps. The, the net wasn't there in the same way. If you're like me at all, you're completely interested in how the first, say, 90 days or six months went for a software developer who's also the marketing guy, who's also the customer support person. Here's what Tom's got to say about that. It was an exciting time, albeit a solo time for Tom. If there was something to hear, I heard it because I did everything. So you get it via email, you get it via, we didn't have chat back then. It was just a phone and email, Um, you know, and I'd spend most of the normal business hours on the phone with customers. Um, And then the off hours, you know, when I wasn't on uh, support there was when we were doing, you know, I was kind of doing marketing, posting up on various sites and getting us listed in the search engines that existed in the day, um, you know, and doing some of the partnership kind of stuff and sending tips and whatnot out there. That was Tom talking about how the earliest days of AWeber went when it was only him. He was the developer, the marketing director, the sales guy, the customer support representative, the janitor, you name it. And given that, I was curious how someone wins their first customers when you're offering something the world doesn't really know exists yet and you're doing it all yourself, even building that product. And you can't mass market to build awareness. You don't have the budget to do that. Yeah, it was uh, um, it was a combination of the, the first few folks that I knew, and then it was a lot of word of mouth because like no other tools existed out there like it. Hey, I found this cool thing, and they would tell all of their friends. 
Um, I also then launched uh, an affiliate like reseller type program uh, a couple of months in uh, that helped as well, where basically I got a commission for referring it to somebody else. Um, and that worked really well and was responsible for a lot of growth over the years and, and continues to be responsible for a lot of acquisition. If you provide um, a lot of value for what you're ultimately charging, People are just, they're going to get a lot of value out of it. They're going to tell other people. Now, because he heard everything from customers being right on the front lines and offering support, that's really powerful early. That really shapes how the product grows and expands and new features are added. But it seems like that's only if you're really going to learn from it. If you can barely keep your head above water or if you're too emotionally attached to your product or service, you may swing in one direction or the other. You rush to please everyone by implementing every one of their suggestions, or you push back out of defensiveness and a really narrow view of how you think your product should be used or how you want to provide support. Here's what Tom says about that right after one last short break. You know, you really, you, you hear everything. Um, so there really isn't anything to be missed. And, and the things that you improve, it's, you know, a lot of product feedback. Hey, it'd be really great if I could do this. And I think one of the earliest things that I learned there is don't just implement a feature because a customer asks for a feature. You need to understand what the problem is that they're trying to solve with said mm -hmm. feature because the way I might build the feature to solve the problem could be entirely different than the thing that they're actually asking for. You know, I might know a better, more efficient way to solve their problem and a dozen other people's problems at the same time. And that's something that we try to teach you know, our team members even today is, is really get to the root of what the customer has. What's the goal that they're trying to accomplish? It's not a feature. It's, it's some sort of outcome they yep. want. So as I mentioned, uh, a year and a half goes by. Uh, Tom is running a Weber entirely by himself since they were one and the same. Tom was a Weber. He ultimately arrives at a point where he can't do it all himself. But just how far did he push the boundaries on that? Somewhere between 1,500 and 2,000 customers is how far he got running things entirely by himself. That's just hard to fathom. Yeah, it was a pretty simple product when it first started. It was literally like, you know, you log in, you either import your list or you could build like a basic web form to put on your site. And then it was like a series of essentially text boxes of like, give me your from address, give me your subject line and give me your body text. None of this like fancy, you know, user interface for designing. Email was text-based back then. There was no HTML in emails. Um, so it was a pretty straightforward thing. Uh, if you knew how to use general email, um, you know, and you had some basic personalization and that sort of thing that you could do. But it was pretty simple uh, initially. I actually thought what Tom shared there was really interesting. The easier your product is for customers to use on their own with no knowledge base or FAQ, the easier it is to sell and support that product for a really long time. It's not just about what the product does, but how the product is provided to customers that can make it much more likely to survive and become profitable down the road. How does this compare with launching a product today? Well, it depends on what your product is that you're launching. You know, you need the, the main difference is, I think your, your product has to be much more mature. Um, you know, there's a certain set of checkboxes if you're going into an established kind of industry that you need to check in order to be, you know, even remotely considered um, as a viable product. Um, so it's, you know, the barriers to entry are definitely higher. Uh, there's network effects and those sort of things as far as the number of integrations you have and all those sort of things. And it's like we've got a long 
you know, we've had a long time to kind of build those things in and kind of amortize those investments over the years. And, uh, you know, I think you really, the, th- the biggest thing you need to do is you need to know what your value proposition, what problem are you solving better than anyone else does? And what are you charging, you know, to solve that problem? What's the value that's returned for that fee? Though Tom started Aweber two decades ago, there's a really observant nature to him today. And that's a trait I've noticed in the best entrepreneurs. They're keenly aware of not just outcomes, but the micro steps that you have to take as an entrepreneur to achieve them and your teams have to take as well. For Tom, who came from a long line of entrepreneurs, maybe it's even more innate though. And he was studying to be a mechanical engineer at one point because of his love for taking things apart and putting them back together. We talked a lot about his upbringing. It's a hardworking family history he has. He has a 93-year-old grandfather who still tinkers with those backhoes and excavators on his property today. Does that mean he had a natural DNA to be an entrepreneur or to build a company? Did he think that way when he was young and it just later manifested itself? I wouldn't say that I ever really like kind of had that mental dialogue of like, hey, there should be a company that did this. I would definitely say I was very curious about things. I like building stuff. I was super into Legos. Like if you come to our headquarters here, like we've got Lego themed stuff all over the place. And, you know, it kind of symbolizes like the whole like building small businesses and building businesses and building stuff together. You know, I love taking stuff apart. You know, I I can't tell you how many times I disassembled my like BMX bike from when I was a kid. And But, you know, I was always into that sort of like, I like building stuff. I like yeah. solving problems. All right, back to a Weber a bit here. The company grew rapidly at first, but as time went by, was there ever a point where things paused or plateaued or stopped? You might be wondering. Well, there wasn't necessarily. And maybe that's because when your CEO is an engineer, you're constantly looking at how things are put together where they're inefficient or where they need adjustment. There's different, you know, there's different kind of plateaus in a business or kind of uh, periods in a business. I wouldn't even say plateau, but there's kind of different periods in a business where, you know, the thing that worked last year doesn't work anymore, whether that's, you know, your marketing, whether that's your, the team, you know, your team size, like you realize like, like managers or something here, like this doesn't scale. Like, and, you know, and I've always been kind of, you know, probably to a fault. Like, I like to work in the business as much as I like to work on the business. There is one thing that has become Tom's biggest challenge, the people side of the business, like it has for many solopreneurs who turned into founders. In Tom's case, he feels like he's so cut and dried about things that looking at opportunities for improvements through tweaks and adjustments when you've got a team of people executing, not just yourself, sometimes that can alienate people. Sometimes that can rub your team the wrong way. And those are my words, not his, by the way. But he's aware of how he can come across and it's forced him to evolve. You know, I'll look at a project that we just completed or, you know, some team might have completed and I will come in and like 95% of it can be completely awesome. And unfortunately, the way that I'm just kind of like default wired is I immediately hone in the 5% that could be better than what it currently is. As kind of a leader, I've been, I make such a conscious effort to like not do that all the time. I always want whatever we have to be better. And no matter how great whatever it is that we're doing is, I always see some element of room for improvement. You know, it's challenging and, and like you have to deal with, you know, you have to be able to communicate in a way that 
you know, kind of instills, you know, confidence and, you know, thankfulness to, to your team and doing a great job, inspire them to, to continue to do better than what we did the day before. So we're going to come back to that self-awareness that Tom just showed that he has in a minute because I think it's important. But another thing he points out is the need to be willing to start drawing lines of what you are as a company, what you aren't, what you're willing to do to grow, and who you want as customers as well as who you don't want. Yeah, I really th- I think you have to you have to know who you are and you have to know who you're attempting to serve. Uh, you can't serve everybody. Um, you know, so, you know, you have to say no to business that isn't the right business. You know, we get RFPs. Don't do RFPs. Like if you want an account, sign up. And I think you have to be really honest with yourself of like, what, what's a, what's a short term thing that you could do versus, you know, to make some revenue versus like, what's the long, long long-term thing that is actually sustainable for you. So today, AWeber has over a hundred thousand paying customers. It's a massive company. When you've grown it from a simple Perl script 20 years ago, all by yourself, you may think you have it all figured out and just need to direct 150 employees to execute on your vision from day to day. Tom's learned you can't do that, really. It's not particularly engaging for employees or fun for them to use your force of will to see things through. That doesn't build trust or unity. A lot of entrepreneurs, maybe even an increasing number, have personal coaches themselves or a close-knit mastermind group of some kind of people they respect who can help them put the proper mirrors in place to not only be self-aware like this of strengths and weaknesses, but of even looking out for the company. Here's where Tom was really transparent about how he thinks about leading a Weber. It's, you know, it's interesting I don't know. There's kind of the, I, I, I often say the phrase, and I've said it here a couple of times already, the, uh, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And there's times where I have a really great, like kind of professional network and support network of, you know, other, other CEOs and founders and so forth in a variety of different industries that, mm-hmm. you know, help kind of give guidance and whatnot to each other. But I spend a fair amount of time trying to be, you know, look inward at myself at what I, you know, try to recognize those unknowns to make them known so that I can actually fix them. And also kind of looking at, you know, I have no formal training in anything that I do here on a daily basis from an education standpoint in the perfect, you know, in the like formal education standpoint, you know, it's kind of looking at like, are, am I the right guy? to be moving things forward or the right person to be moving things forward in the long term like am i the best leader that the team that the team that we have here today could possibly get would i hire myself if i was looking for a ceo for a weber and it's not necessarily that like i see huge gaps in what i do but it's also like what are you know it's trying to it's trying to be cognizant of what are my gaps that i have so that i can see them so that i can try to fill them before they become an issue um, and I think that it is something where a lot of entrepreneurs, like you can't, many do not, I come across people all the time. Like you just, they don't have the support network. They don't mm. have people that they can talk to about what it is that they're worried about and what it is that their issues are because, you know, they kind of look at it as like, I have to be the stoic leader in front of all of our team members or in front of all of our customers. You know, everyone has problems and you need to be able to talk about them with somebody. This is the story of Tom and A. Weber. But what if Tom, just Tom, were sitting down with you as a software developer who wanted to start building something 
What would he ask you to help you figure out your plan for building a product and a company? I don't know. I would probably, I'm a, I'm a total questions guy. I'll sit and play, you know, 40 questions with somebody. Um, you know, I, I'd want to know like what it is that they're building, why it is that they're building it. Like, what is the value that they're adding? You know, like what is the problem that they're solving with whatever mm-hmm. it is that they're trying to do? You know, what kind of resources do they have? Uh, what are they afraid of? Like, I, I, I think people's fears are often very, are very, you know, on If you can get them to say them honestly, mm-hmm. they can tell you a whole lot about where the actual gaps are. And at the same time, a lot of people's fears are completely irrational. They have a feel, they have a fear of like, you know, it's not going to work. Well, have you tried yet? Well, then you don't know if it's not going to work. Like what happens if it doesn't work? Well, I'll go back to school. That doesn't sound so bad. Why don't you just do it already? I feel like a lot of times just asking some questions can kind of help elicit those um, those feedback points and get to the point where somebody kind of goes like, yeah, that's not really that hard. It's not really as scary as I thought it was. And that, my friends, is Tom Colzer and his origin story, as well as his insights on how he leads AWeber today. Thanks, Tom. A hundred thousand customers and multi-millions in revenue since its founding in 1998, and they're still going strong. Thanks for listening, everybody. Coming up next in episode two, Paul Jarvis, a man of numerous successful products and courses and the author of a new book called Company of One. Freelance Founder is also now a member of the Podglomerate Network. You can head on over to thepodglomerate.com to learn more about other shows on the network, as well as other episodes of Freelance to Founder. For all of us at Milo, thanks for listening. The Podglomerate, a sonic universe.